You are listening to episode 21 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 41, Break All Orbital, 2358, September 11th. When the lift doors opened, I stepped out into a world I'd almost forgotten. The flea market. According to the chrono, I still had almost a stand before they closed the doors on another day, and I could hear Pip's voice in my ears saying, Better deals in the afternoon. I set out through the sea of booths, a bizarre bazaar of kitsch, craft, and crap. Breakall wasn't corporate, so there was a wider mix of goods than you'd see in an orbital where the primary export was, for example, textiles. It had been more than five stanyards since I'd helped organize the old McKendrick Mercantile Cooperative, so the crew on the Lois had a safe place to sell. I wondered how that was doing. It had been almost that long since I'd been in the flea myself. I didn't have cash to spare while I was at the academy, and never even tried private trading on my summer cruises. As I sauntered along the long rows of booze, there wasn't actually anything that really caught my eye. I kept thinking of my extra mass allotment and wondering how I could capitalize on it. Half the fun of private trading was the hunt for trade goods. Low mass, high value, I mumbled to myself with a grin. In what seemed no time at all, I heard the ping-ping-pong of the closing bell and joined the throngs heading for the exit. On the one hand, I felt mildly disappointed that I hadn't managed to find anything to buy, and on the other, I had enough on my plate without trying to play trade games. Mostly, I missed Bev, and wondered how she was doing on the family ship. "'Hello, Mr. Huang,' a woman's voice speared me from my reverie, and I turned to see Ula and Penny Davies walking up beside me. "'Well, hello, Ms. Nart. Ms. Davies, enjoying your day off?' I asked. There was just something about the two of them that made me want to grin. They were dressed in jeans, pullover tops, and sensible shoes. Each had a small carry-all. Buy anything good. They looked at each other and giggled. Well, we hope so, Sar, Ula said. Penny was holding back a little bit shyly. Trade goods to take back to Diurnia, she added. With so many corporate systems on the regular trade route, it must be hard to find things in one system that would be in demand in the next, I commented. They shrugged. Yes, Sar, Ula agreed. But we have fun looking, and it's something to do. Big plans, I asked. It's the last night in port and all. We've been talking about heading down to the club later for a little dancing, sir, Ula said after a few heartbeats. The expression on her face said she might be doing more than a little dancing later. Penny, on the other hand, didn't look all that excited about the prospect. Given that I wasn't sure her bruising was all healed yet, I suspected that she might go along for the company, but wouldn't be staying out very late. Well, you two have fun, I told them with a smile. I'm off to have dinner with Ms. Novea. You know, sir, she likes you, Ula said with that schoolgirl I know a secret tone to her voice. I like her too, Ms. Nart, I told her. She's a fine officer and an excellent astrogator. I hope my tone gave them the hint. Yes, sir, she said simply, but her lips twitched in a little half-smile in amusement, and even Penny had a sly grin trying to peek out. At the lift they took the ladder down to the eight-deck, while I stood in line for the next available car. They each gave me a shy little wave as they disappeared through the door. I just shook my head and chuckled. We really did have some very good crew on the billy. As I was standing there waiting, I saw two more of the crew walk by and head down the ladder. Herm Mosler and another of the engineering crew. I recognized the face but couldn't remember his name. I sighed. At least Mosler wasn't with Oponus. 
Back in my stateroom aboard, I stripped out of my old green peacoat and jeans. They still felt well, in spite of the years. But my shoulders had filled out a bit since those days back on St. Cloud, and I knew I was going to have to retire that peacoat soon. Fitting well and fitting perfectly were miles apart once you came to appreciate the difference. Henri Roubaillet had spoiled me in that regard. He'd also outfitted me in a wonderful charcoal jacket and slacks the last time I'd seen him before heading to the academy, and he'd cut that coat just a bit fuller because it still fit perfectly, even after all these stanniers. Moreover, it was, I had on good authority, devastating. I wondered how I could get more decent clothing here. I'd needed an introduction to even get into Chez Henri, and I wondered how I could get one to the local equivalent. It was still almost two stands before we'd be gathering for dinner, so I put on my workout gear and headed for the gym. In spite of the long walk, or perhaps because of it, I found myself craving the quiet meditation of a good Tai Chi workout. There was one thing I hadn't anticipated in my planning for the evening. I shared the head with Arletta. It was one thing to have the last night in port in the birthing areas, plenty of sinks, plenty of mirrors, plenty of showers. It was another to have the one facility to share between two people. When I got back from my workout, the shower was running, the chrono was ticking, and I was awash in sweat. Chuckling, I toweled off as best I could, pulled out the charcoal jacket and slacks, brushing them down a bit and just generally laying things out so when I got out of the shower I'd be able to skin into my clothes and be ready to go. I stood there listening and realized she was singing softly to herself in the shower, a wordless tune I couldn't recognize, but it sounded nice, and I was oddly touched by the intimacy of it. While I was waiting, I dug out my kit and worked on cleaning up the odd nose hair using the big mirror on the closet door. Not a terribly glamorous task, but it was the last night in port. When the shower was still running when I finished that, I shrugged and clipped my fingernails for luck. The shower cut off then, and in a couple of ticks, she knocked on the door. It's all yours, she said, and I heard her side latch shut. I grabbed a fresh towel and my kit and dove for the warm water. It didn't take long to wash off the day's grime, and I was out of the shower and into my civvies in less than ten ticks. I was just adjusting the fall of my jacket when I heard a soft tap on the stateroom door. When I opened it, Freddie and Mel were waiting for me. Mel was in a gorgeous cranberry blouse with a deep green jacket and slacks. Freddie was in a navy blue tunic and slacks. She had a single gold brooch on her left shoulder and was looking very relaxed. Good evening, Ishmael, Freddie said with a warm smile. Are you ready? I just grinned and stepped out into the passageway with them, closing the door to my stateroom behind me. Mel gave me a rather frank once-over and turned to Freddie to say, For a boot third, he cleans out very nicely, don't you think? There was a twinkle in her eye and an approving smile on her lips. Freddie gave me one of her bird-like head-tilt examinations before replying, I think he has promise. We moved a couple of meters along the passageway and Freddie tapped on our letters door. We heard the unmistakable thunk of a trunk lid slamming shut and some indistinguishable scrambling before a moment of silence. The door opened and Arletta stood there, framed. I was a little concerned that there might have been an oxygen imbalance, because just for a bit, I had a very hard time breathing. She was looking straight at me, and behind me I could hear Freddy and Mel murmur something that I couldn't distinguish over the rushing in my ears. Finally, I managed to get enough breath to say, So that's what a little black dress looks like. Mel laughed out loud, and I could hear Freddy chuckle. Arletta just smiled and arched an eyebrow. The dress was black as the deep dark, and even had some kind of sparkly texture to it so that 
Very faint reflections of the overheads made it look like she was wearing stars. It clung and draped and floated free in a variety of fascinating directions, and I wasn't even close to being done admiring it before she stepped out of her stateroom, slung a wrap across her shoulders, and closed the door behind her. I'm starved, she announced. Shall we go? Dinner was a place on the ten-deck called Scotty's. It was one of those classy places where the lights are low, the chairs are comfy, and the food is amazing. The company was clever and beautiful, and I noticed several people, men and women alike, sizing me up and wondering what I was doing with a table full of gorgeous women. I just counted my blessings and hoped none of them objected to dragging me around with them. They were all amazing. It was obviously not the first time the three of them had been out as a group. Once away from the ship, there was an easy camaraderie among them that I recognized but could not yet share. Someday, perhaps, but in the meantime, it was pleasant to just be with them. The salads were fresh and crunchy. The soups were light and flavorful. We all ordered beef in one configuration or another, and a lovely red wine, dry enough to complement the meal through all the courses. My steak was perfection, and the others savored theirs as well. Coffee and a glazed dessert pudding topped the meal and left us pleasantly relaxed, full without feeling gorged. As a meal, it was probably one of the best I'd ever had, masterfully created and presented. And it didn't hurt that I was sharing it with three gorgeous and brilliant women. Chapter 42 Break All Orbital 2358, September 12th. The morning started okay. I woke up on my own and nothing to do, nowhere to go. I had the duty at noon, but that was still a few stands away. A glance at the chrono told me I'd missed breakfast, but with the meal from last night fresh in my mind, a little coffee would tide me over until lunch. Liberty would expire around 1300, but I suspected the mess deck would be plenty crowded anyway for lunch. With most of us back aboard, Mr. Voorhees would be using the wardroom. After a quick shower and a fresh ship suit, I headed for the mess deck and some coffee, and that's when it all started tumbling down. When I stepped into the mess deck, there was a sudden swiveling of grim faces. Not many, but on a mid-morning with Liberty running, more than I would have expected. They looked to me as if they were expecting somebody, but I wasn't it. They turned back to whatever they were doing, and it wasn't much. I got my coffee and glanced into the galley where I saw Mr. Voorhees talking to Karen with the same grim-looking expression. Karen was nodding and pushing a broom around in a small circle. I took my coffee and headed for the office. Arletta had the watch, and I had a very bad feeling. Penny Davies should have been on galley duty, not Karen. And that was a very bad sign. When I rounded the corner and stepped into the office... Arletta looked up with worry furrowing her brow. Ulu was not in tears, but she had been, judging from the shape of her nose and the pile of tissues on the seat beside her. She looked up at me with hope, and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. Something's happened to Penny, I said. How'd you guess? Arletta asked. Hunch, I told her. What do we know? She's officially AWOL. She didn't come back from Liberty this morning, Arletta said. Did she bolt? I asked, thinking back over the voyage out. I couldn't say that I'd have blamed her. Ula sniffed loudly. She was heading back to the ship at 2200, she said. I should never have left her. Arletta shrugged and looked at me with an expression I couldn't quite fathom. 
There was this cute guy, and we were dancing, but I had to get back to take the watch at midnight, so we left a little early, you know? She looked at me with those tortured, pink-rimmed eyes. Yeah, I said, I know. Then what? Penny said she didn't want to hang out anymore, so she was headed back to the ship. She had breakfast duty this morning. After the last couple of weeks, she's been, well, you know. Ola took a tick to blow her nose on another tissue. When I got back, I just had time to grab a ship suit and run up here to relieve opponents, she said, holding back her sobs. I never looked into the birthing area at all. Just grabbed a suit out of my locker and ran up here. Ula was getting more upset, so Arletta picked up the story. When Ula went to wake her for duty, her bunk hadn't been slept in, and the brow watch shows her checked out yesterday afternoon, but she never checked back in. Where do we stand? I asked. Mel and Freddy have gone to the orbital security station. They're running sweeps, she said. Where's the captain? I asked, already knowing the answer. He's due on the 1100 shuttle up from the planet. We notified him, but he didn't change his schedule. Burnside? I asked. He's at the Union Hall, she said, with a bitter edge to her voice. I arched an eyebrow. Union Hall? We sail this afternoon. He's not waiting. She didn't need to spell it out any more fully. Her tablet bipped and she stood up. Bet says there's orbital security at the lock. Ula, stay here. Ishmael, would you come with me? I nodded and followed right behind her. Bats had the lock open, and the two uniformed orbital guards were standing just outside the door when we bolted up. I'm Novea, the OOD, Arletta said. What can you tell us? The obvious senior looked at me and then Bats before speaking. She's in medical. She's alive. Sweep team found her down on the 08 deck just around the corner from the lift. We're reviewing video surveillance now. He bit off each sentence as if reading them from the report. For all I knew, he was. Alive. Arletta zeroed in on the pertinent fact. She was pretty badly beaten, the officer said. She's in the can now, and the medicos are working. They've only just gotten her up from 08. One of your officers is with her. He consulted a tablet. De Groot? Arletta confirmed it with a nod. Still looking at the tablet, he said, a Ms. Manus is reviewing video with his security team. Arletta nodded again. Thank you, officers. At least we know what happened to her. They nodded respectfully and turned to step back onto the dock. Just another day on the orbital, no doubt. Bet started the lock mechanism, but a shout from the dock had him reverse and open it back up. David Burnside stepped over the combing and into the ship. Behind him, a young woman, in a brand new DST ship suit, carried a suspiciously clean duffel. Oh, good, he said. You're here. This is Mindy Jacobs. She's our new mess deck attendant. Ms. Novea, if you'd take Ms. Jacobs and get her signed in, we can get on with getting ready to get underway. Welcome aboard, Miss Jacobs, Arletta said as warmly as she could under the circumstances. We're having a bit of a dust-up this morning, so please bear with us. She turned to Betts. Arnie, would you see that Miss Jacobs gets mass allotment and systems records? Aye, sir. The Miss Jacobs in question, a lovely girl of 18 or 19 stanniers with lush brown hair and relatively impressive physical assets, reminded me of the phrase calf to slaughter. Ishmael, Arletta said, I need to let the crew know. I'll talk to Ula if you'll make the announcement on the mess deck, and let Mr. Voorhees know he's not short-handed any longer. Of course, I said. I followed Arletta down the passageway into the ship, and as we turned the corner, she asked me, Does it strike you as odd that he's already got a replacement? Only from the perspective that he must have been pretty sure that Penny wouldn't be rejoining the crew, I murmured. That was my thinking as well, she said. 
We split up at the office door, and I only got a glimpse of Ulanart's hopeful but tear-smeared face before Arletta closed the door, and I moved on to the mess deck. When I got there, I just stepped into the mess deck and stood for a heartbeat. They all knew I had something to say. I could see it in their faces. Juliet and Charlotte were sitting with a couple of the engineering people. Opponies and Mosler were at their usual table, and the engineman I'd seen with Mosler outside the flea market was sitting with them. Miss Davies has been found. She's getting medical treatment right now. She's too badly hurt to be rejoining the ship, but a replacement attendant will be joining us. It was a brutal recitation, but there wasn't anything to be gained by beating around the bush. I saw Juliet and Charlotte bite their lips and reach out to each other to hold a hand. Most of the crew had expressions of shock and dismay. Only Mosler and Aponis didn't seem surprised. The extra engineman, I suddenly remembered his name was Zhang, flashed a look at the two of them. He didn't look particularly happy, either. John Voorhees had stepped out of the galley when I started speaking, and he'd heard the whole thing. I walked out to him, and we moved back into the galley. Karen was standing there, not looking much better than Ula Nart in the swollen eyes and red nose department. Mr. Wong, he said, do they know? I shook my head. No, John, I'm sorry, I said softly. They just found her less than a stand ago. She's in the auto dock up in medical, and she's getting treatment. The officers said she'd been beaten and left on the 08 deck. They found her this morning on their lost person sweep. His eyes narrowed, and he said, they found her less than a stand ago, and we already have a replacement. It wasn't a question. Yes, I said. Mr. Burnside went to the Union Hall himself this morning. That was nice of him he said, with a growing hardness about the mouth and eyes, and said fortuitous replacement happens to be female, young, pretty, blonde, and fills out a ship suit. Close, I admitted. She's a brunette. What are the odds, sir? he asked. Astronomical, I replied. <sighs> he took a deep breath, and I could see him calming himself by sheer strength of will. So, he said at last, just the one word. So, he said again. His eyes were focused elsewhere, and his mind was racing by the look in his eyes. So we need to have a little talk with our new Lammy, he said softly, and I'm afraid Ms. Kramer gets wardroom duty. I clapped him on the shoulder. Strength, John, I said. We don't know. We have no proof. It looks bad, but we don't want to be at their level. Under my hand, I could feel the starch leech out of the man. He closed his eyes and struggled for control, but eventually said, Yes, sir, I know you're right, but... He raised his eyes to mine. She was my crew, sir. I know, John, I said with a sigh. Believe me, I know. There wasn't anything else to say, so I got out of his way and headed for the office. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big Sea from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big Sea at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Dorandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>